hear God's word. We're going to be in Genesis 2 this morning. We're continuing our sermon series on a life of rest. And so, as you'll remember, that started off the first week with, um, well, actually, let me just explain. A topical sermon series, we're moving around in the Bible. Rather than when we did a book study, we went verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the whole book of Luke and started into Acts, right? took us several years. So now we're going, um, skipping around some different places in Scripture to look at the theme of a life of rest. And so we started in Matthew 11 with a promise of rest where Jesus said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your soul. And so um, that started our series, and then we looked at God's created order, and daily rest is part of that. So last week, I think it was, we looked at there was evening, We start with a place of rest, and then there's morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. Um, Just going to ask, did it bother anybody when we got to six days and we didn't go on and just finish it out to the seventh? Anybody willing to say that was just troublesome a little bit, like you just wanted to get the whole thing? Part of that is it just shows us we just have a hard time slowing down and just chewing on what we've got. So anyway... We looked at a daily rest, and now we're going to look at a weekly rest. We're going to start in Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy, um, which is the fifth book in the Bible. So starting with Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So Genesis, and now we're going to Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book, fifth chapter. And this is in the midst of um, a retelling. Moses is retelling God's people about the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were given by the Lord, the covenant-keeping God. And he gave this commandment so that his people would flourish. And so starting there with verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you 
to observe the Sabbath day. And if you remember, when the um, Israelites were in Egypt, they made the work nonstop, day after day after day, hard, hard, hard labor. And so God's saying, as you come out, you're going to remember and set aside this day to remember that God is a God who gives rest. And so weekly rest. Leonard Duhan is a theologian, and I ran across this thing that he said, and I wanted us to think about this today. To fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. That's saying something pretty strong. To fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing, in quotes, is to miss the heart of Christianity. Now I want to tell you a story about a group of Christians that were um, back in the day of um, wagon travel out west. And they were in St. Louis, Missouri, which is um, over on the far right of your screen. So Missouri, St. Louis area. So kind of down from Michigan, kind of in the center of the United States. They were going to be making a, a trek all the way out to the Oregon area. They were going to be doing this by wagon, and they were all Christians. And so now Pastor Dave is on sabbatical, and he and Ann and the children pretty soon are going to be taking a trip out west to Arizona, but kind of same kind of distance pretty much, maybe a little less. They're going to be doing that by car, I believe is the way they're going, and um, they're going to take that in several days. Now think about going by wagon with your family, all right? So can you picture that? So they're going to take this trip all the way from St. Louis to Oregon. And so they get started. It's a group of them. They're traveling together, and they're going, and it starts to get towards winter, and they're concerned about whether the snow's going to fly. Now, if you remember, I'm just going to go back a minute if I can. If you remember, they have to go across the mountains. They have to make some mountain passes on their way to Oregon. And so they start thinking about the snow, and so they're traveling, and they're, you know, they travel for six days, and then they stop on the seventh. They travel for six days. They stop on the seventh. But then some of them start talking, and they're getting a little anxious about whether they're going to make it before the snow flies. And it created quite a, um, quite a stir, quite a heated discussion, I imagine, as they discuss this. And some of them said, we really can't wait for that seventh day. We can't afford to stop every seven days and rest. We need to keep moving because otherwise we maybe get trapped and we won't be able to get over those mountains. All right? So the group decided to split up. They decided there would be those that would observe the Sabbath and there would be those that would travel on the Sabbath. And so they traveled for the first six days after they made this decision together. On the seventh day, one group stopped and rested like was their normal practice, and the other moved on. Who do you think got to Oregon first? The group that rested. The group that observed Sabbath, their animals were more rested, they were stronger, they were more efficient, and they actually made it out there first. And so what were they doing? Were they doing simply nothing? Well, no. Actually, I think the answer to what they were doing 
is found in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a teaching tool um, used by churches, and many churches refer to this occasionally. What is the chief end of man is the question, and the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Can you imagine really taking a trip out west and never stopping to look around? Never taking a day to look around and just enjoy God's creation, to reflect on the goodness of God. I think they were actually doing something. They were spending time with the Lord, and they were honoring his guidance. His guidance says to rest. Now that comes from what we looked at first in Genesis 2.2. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. That Hebrew word can be translated to rest, but it really means to stop, to cease. Now, why did God stop? Did he stop because he was worn out after six days of creating? No, he's all-powerful. He never would get tired. Um, So it wasn't because he was exhausted. It's because he wanted to enjoy his creation. He wanted to enjoy all the goodness of what he had just created. He kept saying, it's good, it's good. And on the day that he created humanity, it's very good. He wanted to celebrate. And so he rests, he stops, he stops what he's doing. And then we're created in his image, and in Deuteronomy we're told we're supposed to stop too. And we're supposed to keep this day, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. To make something holy is to say we're going to use this for a special purpose. We're going to um, consecrate this, or this is going to be for sacred purposes. So on the day of Sabbath, it's a special purpose. It's not for all of our every day, what we do all the other six days. On the seventh day, it's special. And so by keeping it holy means we're setting it apart for God and for his purposes. Now another tool is the Heidelberg Catechism. The church has referred to this teaching tool for many, many years. And it asks this question, What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment, which is what we just read about the Sabbath, okay? So what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And I want us to read the answer together. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people, to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So first, it's a day where we focus on the Lord, and we do that. We ca- the catechism calls it a festive day. When you think of Sunday, the Sabbath day, is that the first thing you think of as festive festivities? Um, depending on your upbringing, you may or may not. But the catechism tells us it's a festive day where we diligently, that means um, regularly, We attend worship. That doesn't mean that once in a while or when I feel like it, when I get up and I feel like going to church, I go. 
but actually that we gather on the Lord's Day because we want to learn, we want to participate in the sacraments, we want to pray publicly. Do we pray publicly here? Yes, we pray publicly. And we bring our offerings, offerings to the Lord to be used for the ministries of the church, which includes the poor. And so how are we to spend this day? We're to spend it learning about God. All right, is that the only, we just do that and then we check it off. Okay, we've done that. No, it's actually a Sabbath. It's the whole day. It's the 24 hours. And so, um, and it actually goes beyond that because it's a practice and a rehearsal for all of eternity where each day we're resting from our evil ways and we're letting his Holy Spirit work in us so that we begin in this life the eternal Sabbath, right? We've got so much to look forward to in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, where there's not going to be any more of this um, distraction and so forth, but yet we're rehearsing that day. Our, Our Sundays, our Sabbaths, are supposed to be days where we we rehearse what it's going to be like throughout eternity in the new creation. And so um, there's this stopping, but there's also there's something more that we do, and it's festive. Notice that there's no mention of which day is the festive day. It, Sabbath was observed by the Jewish people uh, from Friday night sundown to Saturday uh, evening. Um, once Jesus was resurrected, the Christian church switched and they made Sunday the first day because that was the day after when they discovered the resurrection and that Jesus was alive. And so that's why that switch. But notice the catechism doesn't get into parsing it out because actually um, there are people that have to work on Sundays. Nurses have to work on Sundays. Others have to, you know, police officers, security, others may have to work on Sunday. But that doesn't mean that they miss Sabbath. They're supposed to take a different day. It can be a different day, but there's supposed to be a day every week that we set apart to do things that focus on the Lord, enjoy him. And I'm going to talk more about that. You're invited. Jesus said, come to me, which is invitation, but it's command. Well, we hear this, observe the Sabbath, and I want you to hear it with that warm invitation. It's a command, observe the Sabbath, but it's, a, it's an invitation for 24 hours to celebrate and grow in the love of God. Do you remember Pastor Dave a few weeks ago? He talked about the river of God's love is here and the river of God's love is coming. And I believe that every time that we rehearse Sabbath and we practice Sabbath, we step into the river of God's love in a beautiful way, and we imagine the day that the fullness, the consummation of God's love that we completely understand. Sabbath is not a spiritual straitjacket for sanctification. Now, um, for any of you that grew up in more of, rather than the warm invitation of Sabbath, you grew up in a strict legalistic culture that said you will not ride your bicycle you will not run and you will not I don't know what all the knots were I um, didn't grow up in the knots but anyway but I understand that um, there can be 
in some ways, this feeling like when you say Sunday's coming, that you kind of get like this, I can't do anything. Well, actually, we can do so much. We can do so much. And so the so much that we can do are things that are going to help us grow and be in um, sanctification means coming more and more like Christ. Remember, um, Jesus himself got accused of doing too much on the Sabbath, right? There's freedom um, to enjoy God's creation. And so I found something very helpful in trying to help us understand, okay, we can't work. He says, don't work on the Sabbath, so cease but a lot of times we miss what else, we'll co- what can we do? And so there's a, a book that um, I've been reading called um, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, and it's by Marva Dawn. And she divides it up into cease, rest, embrace, and feast. And so I wanted to just share a little bit. I'm juggling too many things here in my hand. Um, I wanted to just read a few things to give you some ideas about, well, what does that mean? Like, cease, remember to stop, to um, Shabbat. All right, ceasing, cease work, cease productivity and accomplishment. Cease anxiety, worry, and tension. Cease trying to be God. Cease our possessiveness. Ceasing our enculturation. Ceasing the humdrum and meaninglessness. All right, so gives you some ideas of like, well, we could stop, all right? Well, then we enter into rest. Well, okay, if we're stopping our work and our productivity and trying to consume more things and all, what does that do? That starts to enter us into rest. We're resting spiritually. We're having physical rest, emotional rest, intellectual rest. She gets into some um, chapters on aids to resting and even social rest. Think about that, like maybe just coming off of social media for a day or unplugging, you know, just going off the grid for a day Um, and even how that impacts your character. Then she goes on to talk about embracing. Well, if we're stopping these things, well, then what are we embracing? Intentionality which if the study of actually how the Jewish people do practice their um, Sabbath, there's a lot of preparation, lighting candles, a special blessing. You know, there's things that we can do with intentionality to embrace our focus on the Lord on that day. Embracing our values, embracing time, embracing gifts, embracing calling, embracing wholeness, embracing the world and his creation, and then feasting. So we don't, he says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, how does she get feasting out of that? But she says, put your eyes on Jesus. So feasting on the eternal. And then how do you do that? Maybe with music or with beauty or with food, with affection, with festival. And then she kind of wraps it up to just talk about what is the Sabbath and how might we be more intentional about this stewarding of a command, but that was warm invitation to focus on the Lord. Failure to rest. If we don't rest, if we don't cease, it hurts our relationship with the Lord. Can you imagine having your most important relationship in your whole life on this earth 
that you never stopped and spent any time together? What would it do to your relationship? It would hurt it, don't you think? Well, what does it do to our relationship with the Lord if he's told us, spend a day, I want to spend a day with you. It's an invitation. I want to spend a day with you, and you don't show up. You don't show up one week. You don't show up two weeks. Maybe you show up for a quick half hour or an hour, hour and a half, all right, hour and a half gathering um, on Sunday morning, and then you scoot out. How would it, just imagine if um, maybe your mother invited you to come and spend the day and she was so looking forward to spending that time with you. She had made all these preparations for your visit. And then you just popped in, quick a minute, were kind of distracted while you were there, and then you were out the door. How disappointing for your mom. Or how disappointing for your dad if he was the grill master and he had planned to grill and he was just getting it all fired up and ready to put some steaks on there. And you said, oh, I, I got to go. Well, what is it like when God has a feast of his word and his presence prepared for us and we just scoot out after an hour and a half? And then we're just back to our normal thinking of whatever else is on what we think about every other day of the week. What are we missing out on? I think we're missing out on steaks on the grill, the fellowship, the sweet um, relationship, so to speak. The steaks on the grill is just a metaphor. All right. Um, although, who knows? Maybe the Lord will give you steaks. I don't know. Um, but he wants us to um, not miss out on their relationship or the blessings. And um, in, in her book, when she talked about intellectual rest, I was kind of intrigued by, well, what would be in that chapter? She talked about how that we get all these news bits every day. And so we get, like, we hear about this war. We hear about... Um, you know, the storm in this area, we hear about the infection disease and, like, what is happening with viruses, you know. So we hear these little bits of news throughout the week, and um, it can actually get to you, you know. Like, just intellectually, it can get to you because it seemed like doom and gloom, you know, in the news. But she said, when we take a day of Sabbath and we remember that God Most High is on the throne and he's sovereign over all, then all of a sudden it kind of puts all those news bits into order under his authority. And we're reminded that there will be wars and rumors of wars, but that there is a God who's in control and Jesus is coming back. It gives us intellectual rest, but we have to step away to get perspective So that's just one blessing, and there's many blessings that um, come as we we enter into that rest. All right, so there's the prohibitions. Stop working, but then go, do these things. And the question is, do we know how to embrace? Do we know how to feast? Do we know how to do the things that he invites us to? And recently I was asked um, a question of accountability, asking me to describe my quiet time with the Lord every day, and then also asking me, Gina, how do you best connect with the Lord? 
And I hadn't been asked that for a bit. You know, I don't know if I've ever been asked exactly that question. And so it made me start thinking, well, how do I best connect and how can I quickly connect with the Lord? And so it made me wonder for this sermon, do you know how you connect best with the Lord? Because if this day is much more than the church service, but it's for the whole 24 hours... And can you imagine if we started preparing for the Sabbath in the evening? So what if Saturday evening we started preparing our hearts by the time we came to worship on to worship corporately on Sunday mornings and then we carried on through the afternoon? Do you know how you best connect with the Lord? And there's this thing called spiritual temperaments. And Focus on the Family has a nice little section on their website about it. But there's different ways that different ones of us are wired to connect with the Lord. And so I'm going to tell you a few stories. So the guy that's on top of the mountain is a pastor, CRC pastor, friend of mine, Matt, out in Bellevue, Washington. And how he connects on his Sabbath is that he puts his daughter on the school bus and then he climbs the mountain every sabbath as as much as he can this is what he does he goes and i see pictures of this mountain and that mountain and his pictures but he gets up to the top of the mountain takes pictures enjoys time with the lord comes down from the mountain and gets his daughter off the school bus and um he is what you call a naturalist his heart opens up to god when he's outdoors god seems more real to naturalists when they're hiking under the big expanse of sky or at least sitting under a tree. So naturalist, being out in nature, being out in God's creation. Sensates, see if you can pick out which picture this is, are more aesthetically inclined. They're the artistic types, and they prefer creative and original music or even good architecture to open their hearts to God's presence. Their worship is about seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, even tasting God's presence. That um, picture of our Grand Rapids skyline and architecture. And, um, you know, you get out and you see something beautiful. Maybe that's something, a way that, like, you're just drawn towards the Lord or music. I, I was out walking um, yesterday, and at first I was listening to a podcast, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm walking. And anyway, then I turn on my worship music. Ha, oh, that is the way... I just best engage with the Lord. All of a sudden I realize that I'm walking down the street just worshiping the Lord. And then I think, I am like, I ran across the end of the marathon, you know, like, yeah. But put on my worship music, yes, I'm there. I'm just worshiping God so much. And so knowing how we worship the Lord, others are ascetics. They meet God internally. They prefer to shut out the world and meet with God in solitude and silence. And so that picture of sitting out there just all alone in the chair, that would maybe be a picture that would be one way that some people just need to be alone. They need to quiet. Now they're contemplatives. They're marked by an emotional attachment and surrender to God. They're God lovers And they want to spend their time in God's presence, adoring him, listening to him, enjoying him. 
They often find benefit in journal writing where they can explore their heart's devotion. So maybe journaling is a way that you really connect with the Lord. Some people are intellectuals. If it doesn't stimulate their mind, their heart isn't warmed. They're the ones that maybe just love it when a Greek or Hebrew word or some definition or a quote just grabs them. Why does it just grab them for just attention's sake? No, it makes them think deeply on the Lord. Others really, really appreciate an order. And so they're the ones that maybe some of you are the ones that just really appreciate like a liturgical order or like written prayers, or like the office of prayer, like praying certain times of the day. And on a Sunday, you maybe have certain prayers that you would read or devotions that you read as part of your rhythm, and you kind of have a real um, routine. Uh, Others are activists. And um, when they're engaged in God's justice and um, issues that um, they feel most close to God when they're involved with righteousness on earth. And so they would be the ones that maybe would be attending, like over at the library. My friend Ricardo was um, speaking at the Grand Rapids Library recently on immigration and so an immigration policy. People that um, are activists and enjoy God's um, presence and think and, and feel most close to God when they're focused on what he's doing on earth and what he would want done on earth, that might be a way that they most um, connect quickly with the Lord. And then others are caregivers. And so there's going to be some of us that maybe would find that Sunday afternoon is a great day to go visitation. You know, so maybe they go to visit somebody that's in the nursing home or, you know, care for somebody in some way, take a meal or, you know, something Um, So those are just some of the ways. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because I think on Sabbath we need to come and we learn together, but we also have a number of other hours in this 24-hour period. Do you know how you best connect with the Lord? Do more of that. All right, what if you live with roommates and you all have different ways of connecting with the Lord? then it's good to have a discussion about that and figure out how that you can nurture each other. Or maybe you're married. And, um, you know, sometimes, um, I don't know if this is going to be a surprise to you or not, but sometimes married people don't always think alike. All right. So we need to figure out how are you wired and how are you wired and making sure that if we're sharing this Sabbath day together and how are our children wired, And how can we give experiences and opportunities where we're focused on the Lord, maybe some together and some um, individually? If I never um, said to Dane, go ride your mountain bike on Sunday afternoon, like he would be bummed if I said, why don't we just sit and listen to worship music all afternoon and maybe we could just dance around the house. You know, like he would like be like, Gina, I gotta get outside. I gotta get on the bike, you know, because he's the naturist. He's got to be out there in God's creation. But what if we do that and we judge each other? Let's not do that. Let's figure out how to celebrate and feast and focus on the Lord in ways that best, um, how it works best for us, for those that we live with or that we're friends with. But um, 
enjoying the Lord, setting apart that day to really, really reset and recalibrate because he's wired us that actually as we do this, we are stronger and more efficient in every other day of the week as we do this. And so God is so good. His Sabbath provides for us a rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. So on Sabbath, it's one day to completely reoriented so that we practice that for each day because each day is supposed to be focused on the Lord and supposed to be walking in step with him. But this one day that he says no work, it's not to take anything away from us. It's to add to us so that we know him more. And as we know him more, we know that he is our Lord that word Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, it's, you know, in your scripture in Deuteronomy, the Lord commanded this to observe the Sabbath. Yahweh, the personal God, the covenant-keeping God. We rehearse his story. We remember that we were a people that were lost in sin, and he reached down out of the pit, and he saved us. He sent his son, Jesus, and he's coming again. And we're co-heirs with him. We rehearse that story. We remember that story. And we remember who we are. And so this is a day of festive rest, glorifying and enjoying God today and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, this day of rest. Lord, this day of celebration, this festive day. And we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts even more deeply to your love, to your grace, to the goodness of the ways that you guide and direct us. Lord, thank you that you're a God who wants to refresh us, wants to strengthen us, wants to give us rest and enjoyment in you. We glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.